Genesis chapter 3. I'll read one verse. And then Luke 16. Genesis 3. One verse. And then Luke 16. Genesis chapter 3. I'm reading verse 9. Genesis 3. 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam. And said unto him. Where art thou? Luke 16 now. Luke's gospel chapter 16. And I would like to read from verse 19. Please note first and foremost. That this is not a parable. This is an account of an actual thing that happened. It is not one of the parabolic teachings of Jesus. It is a record of an actual event. I read from verse 19. Luke 16. And there was a certain rich man. I wanted to know when he says certain rich man. It means it is certain that the man existed. There was a certain rich man. Which was clothed in purple and fine linen. And feared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. You see that word again? Certain. Which means definite. Which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died. Please underline that. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried. On the line carried by the angels. And was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. And was buried. On the line buried. Are you going to be carried or are you going to be buried? And in hell he lifted up his eyes. Being in torment. And seeth Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said father Abraham. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Underline flame. But Abraham said, son, remember. Underline son, remember. That thou in thy lifetime receiveth thou good things. And likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this. Between us and you there is a great goal fixed. So that they which will pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that will come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore father. That thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them. Lest they also come into this place of torment. On the line place of torment. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses. And the prophets let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father, Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. By the grace of God today, I'll be speaking on the subject of hell. Hell. Shall we pray? Father God, we give you the honor and glory and praise for every and all things that have been done. We appreciate Jesus for coming. 
and creating an obstacle for us on our way to hell. We thank you for the cross that is an obstacle on the way to hell. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that is an obstacle on the way to hell. We thank you, O oh God, for others' good example that represent obstacles for us on our way to hell. Father, we say in Jesus' name, may the word spoken today affect and influence people for the better so that it will not be the basis of their condemnation but the basis of their justification. May your great name be glorified. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 9, we find the first question that God ever asked man. When God said to man, we are at thou. I stand here today to ask you that question, my brother. To ask you that question, my sister. To ask you that question if you are old. To ask you that question if you are young. We are at thou. To ask you that question if you think you are a Christian. To ask you that question if you have been coming to church. For, the, for, for, for some years or some months or some weeks. My question is the same question that Jesus the first question that God ever asked man, we are at thou. In other words, where do you stand concerning your spiritual and concerning your spiritual and eternal things that have to do with God? Where do you stand vis-a-vis -vis God? Where do you stand vis-a-vis -vis Christ? Where do you stand vis-a-vis -vis righteousness? My question to you today is, we are at thou. What is your stand and where do you stand? And I believe that that question is a question that you and I should consider. It is not a question that you and I should overlook. It's not a question that you and I should parry off. It's not a question of, that you and I should think we do not need to look at or probably scrutinize a little bit. I believe that you and I need to scrutinize that question with reference to its relevance to each and every one of us. We are a thou. You and I need to consider that question. And I will tell you how we need to consider it. We don't just need to consider that question we are thou. But you and I need to consider it in the following ways. One. We need to consider it seriously. This is not a question to trifle with. When I say seriously. I mean we need to consider it without joking. Because some of us joke with everything. Some of us just are involved in a lot of jesting. But listen to me. This is not a question to jest about. This is a question to consider seriously. This is a question to consider as important. This is a question not to play with at all. Because there are other things that you consider seriously and you have been considering seriously. If there is anything that is more serious than whatever you come to be serious, it is this question, where are you? So the first way you need to consider it is that you need to consider it seriously. The second way you need to consider this question is that you need to consider it honestly. I mean, at times as human beings, we try to deceive ourselves. At times as human beings, we try to deceive others. And even at times as human beings, we try to deceive God. But I want you to know that you and I need to consider this question very honestly. To consider it honestly means to consider it frankly and openly. To consider it honestly means to consider it truthfully. To consider it honestly means to consider it sincerely. You and I should not try in whatever shape, form, or fashion, to deceive ourselves in this consideration. We must consider it honestly. Not just should we consider it seriously, but honestly. You need to be truthful about it. You need to be 
You need to be sincere about it. Second Corinthians 13, 5. He said, examine yourself whether you are in the faith. You know how be that Christ dwelleth in you, except you want to be reprobate. In other words, we need to be honest about it. We need to be sincere, frank, and open. What you are not is what you are not. And what you are is what you are. And you need to be very frank, honest, and sincere, and truthful about it. The third way I believe that we need to consider this thing, this question, where are thou, is that we need to consider it thoroughly, not superficial. It is not just something you take and weigh it a little bit and throw it away. Thoroughly. To consider something thoroughly means to painstakingly and carefully look at it. To consider it thoroughly means to consider it very exactly. To consider it thoroughly means to consider it properly to the end. To be thorough about it. You see, at times we do some things halfway and we throw it away. But in this case, you need to be thorough. You need to be thorough about it so that you can come out with the right conclusion. Where down is a question to be considered honestly, is a question to be considered seriously, and is a condition a question to be considered thoroughly. It is also a question to be considered personally. That's another thing you need to do. It's a question to be considered personally. Whatever anybody calls you is not what matters anymore. Most of the time, some people think they are said because people say they are. I want you to know that nobody will recommend you through the gates of heaven. Jesus Christ says in John 14 verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And according to Romans 8, 9, whosoever does not have the spirit of Christ is none of his. Nobody can recommend you to God as it was so that he can open the gates of heaven to you. Nobody can pay for you to enter. Somebody can pay your house rent. Somebody can pay your school fees. Somebody can pay your gate into a football match. But into the heaven, nobody can pay. Christ has already paid. And unless Christ knows and recognizes you, you will not be able to pass through the portal gates of heaven. So this is a question to be considered personally. No matter what anybody calls me, it doesn't matter to me. They could call you a pastor. They could call you a deacon. They could call you an officer of the church. They could call you anything. But the point is, you and I have come to a point where you need to consider this question personally. Remember Luke 16, 15 says, that which is highly esteemed among men before God is abomination. It came to the point in the life of Cornelius. Everybody thought Cornelius was a Christian. Everybody even thought that because he had given them money to build the church, he was a believer. But it came to the point where Cornelius was worried about his own self. And he considered the question we are now probably sincerely. He considered it thoroughly. He considered it seriously. And more than that, he considered it personally. Salvation is a personal thing. The Bible did not say whosoever call upon the name of the Lord on the behalf of somebody else will be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. He said, If thou shalt confess with the mouth of the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. But with the mouth, man, but with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It is with your own heart that you believe unto righteousness, and it is with your own mouth that you confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Nobody else can do it for you. So this is a question you need to consider personally. Now this is a question also, you know, I'm t- telling you how to consider this question. We are thou. This is a question you also need to consider today, today, today. It's not a question for tomorrow. We don't need to delay till tomorrow what we can do today. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Psalm 95 verse 7. It says today you hear his voice, harden not 
your hearts. So this is a question for today. This is a question for now. This is not a question for tomorrow because tomorrow is not certain. Tomorrow is not certain. I always tell people this. It is certain that certain things will occur, but certain things may not occur. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Tomorrow is not something you and I should begin to think about. What we should live by is this day, today, here, now. So this is the question you need to consider today. It's not a question you should live till tomorrow. It could be too dangerous to live it till tomorrow. It could be too dangerous to live it till the 11th hour. Because death may come by 10.30. It may be very dangerous to live it until you graduate. Because nothing is waiting for people to do something before they happen. So this is a question to consider today. Today. This day. Now another way to consider this question which is very important is that this is a question that you need to consider prayerfully with the help of God. At times we don't know who we are until we allow God to tell us who we are. At times we don't know who we are until we look at God to tell us. That's why Psalm, Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my reins. And if there is any evil way in me, tell me in the way everlasting. This is a question to consider prayerfully. In other words, you should allow God as it were to help you to come to the right kind of conclusion. You may tell yourself you are saved. Everybody around may tell you you are saved. But God may be saying something different. I remember Romans 3, 4. Let God be true and everyone be a liar. Because God sees many things that we don't see. 1 Samuel 16, 7. For the Lord does not see the way man seeth. Man is looking at the outward, but God is looking at the inward. The word of God tells us that the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. You are not going to judge yourself in heaven. Nobody else is going to judge you. It's not the standard of your denomination that is going to be the base of your own judgment. But God will judge you by Jesus Christ. And anybody that does not satisfy the claim of justice according to Christ will not be able to enter into the place that God has reserved to them who seek and to them who serve him. So this is a question to consider prayerfully. It's a question that you need to be humble about. It's a question you should, you should ask God to, 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 to confirm to you as to whether you are, you are truthful about it or not. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 16, the, the spirit himself witnesseth with our spirit that we are children of God. In other words, we cannot say we are children except we have the witness within us. Except we have the witness. First John 5 12, he said he that is born of God, he said has the witness in him. In other words, you know it, not because you call yourself or because you are making believe, or because others call you, or because your name is on the church roll, or you have been admitted in membership, or you have been baptized in water, or you have performed all forms of religious rituals, but because God says so. The Spirit of God witnessed with our spirit that we are children of God. First John 3, 9, said he that is born of God does not commit sin, and he cannot sin, because his seed remaineth. Which means you have the certificate to prove that you have it. You have the, the standard requirement which is that you have the witness of the spirit. Not that you are trying to make believe. Not that you are trying to, to say you are. The fact is God has already said that is who you are. So you need to consider this question very prayerfully. Not just thoughtfully. Not just personally. Not just today. Not just thoroughly. Not just seriously. But also not just honestly. But also you need to consider it prayerfully with God's help. With God's help. The last way I will say you need to consider it is that you need to consider it scripturally. You need to consider it. Where are you? God is saying, use my word to consider where you are. 
The word of God is a road map. The Bible tells us that in Psalm 119 verse 1 and 3 said, Order my steps in your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Psalm 119 verse 105, that word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Which simply means that if you are going to say you are saved, it must be based on what the word of God says. I remember several years ago, I met a man and I said to him, are you born again? He said, yes. I said, how do you know? He said, my pastor says so. I said, your pastor says so. Said, my pastor said, I should go and fast. And I fasted for 40 days. And at the end, my pastor said, now you are saved. I said, well, there is no place in the Bible that tells me that somebody else can declare somebody else justified. There is no place in the Bible that can tell me that you can be saved when you have not done what the Bible says you should do. The Bible tells me in Psalm 37 verse 23 that the steps of a good man are ordered by God. So you need to consider it scripturally. Now, I have seen many people who have said, when you ask them, are you saved? He said, yes. How do you know? They said, I have confessed my sins. No. Confessing your sins don't get you saved. In fact, as an unbeliever, there is no way you can confess your sins. Because you are born in sin. And it was iniquity that your mother conceived you. And at times there are certain exemptions that we to, to accept or embrace that are not right. Because it's embraced by many people does not mean it is right. Because it is because because it has come to be for so many years does not mean it is correct. Uh, the fact that a lie has been lied has been a lie for twenty years does not make it the truth. Does not make it the truth. So uh, you need to consider it scripturally. What is the scriptural procedure? For becoming a Christian. You see because God will not judge us by the standard of our denomination. Or the standard requirements of what other people say. He will use the word of God to judge us. The word of God will be our judge. And that is why you and I have the word of God. I always say this and I used to have a message like this. Obstacles on the way to hell. Several years ago I used to have that message. Obstacles on the way to hell. And I always say one of the obstacles that God has put on the way to hell is the Bible. I mean, if you take the Bible and you look at it, and you are ready to do what the Bible says, it is an obstacle on the way to hell. It will not allow you to go to hell. Another obstacle I used to have in those days is the cross. Easter is the story of one obstacle that God created on the way to hell. I mean, if you look at the story of Easter, the provisions of Christ, the provisions of the cross, you will know that it was designed by God so that man can be reconciled to God and not have to go to hell. Another obstacle on the way to hell are the godly influence of others. I mean, at times our good friend who go to church is an obstacle on the way to hell. I mean, you don't care. You just want to go and live your life and go ahead and do your own thing without caring whose ox is God, including yours. But you see, you have a godly friend who keeps reminding you that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You have a godly friend who keeps telling you that you cannot continue in sin and win. You have a godly friend and that godly friend becomes an obstacle. Another obstacle on the way to hell are godly parents. Who have brought you up in the way of righteousness. Even while you try to live. While you try to do something else. You cannot but remember the price they have paid. The efforts they have made. Uh, and the things they have done. Another obstacle on the way to hell is the Holy Spirit. Another obstacle on the way to hell is the message I am preaching today. This message is designed by God. To block the parts of those who have made up their mind. To go on living the way they are living. To go on going the place the way they are going. This message is another, is another barricade. It's another stumbling block on the parts of those who want to go to hell. It's another message you can put in the home that will stop them from going to hell. It's a message you can put in the heart of a friend that will stop them from going to hell. It's a message you can listen to over and over that will stop you from going to hell. Because by the time I describe to you how hell is and what hell has to offer, it will be an obstacle. Because when you know something and you don't desire that thing because it's not good for you, it will stop you from going on to hell. So, you need to consider it prayerfully. You need to consider it scripturally. You need to consider it personally. And then you need to consider it today. 
and you need to consider it very thoroughly. Now, the question I want to quickly answer is, why must we consider this question at all? Why? Brother George, you see, I should consider it honestly. I should consider this question thoroughly. I should consider it seriously. I should consider it personally. I should consider it scripturally. I should consider it, uh, I should consider it prayerfully. But why should I consider it? Why should I consider that question where I die? Why should I? I want to quickly give you some reasons why it is important for you to consider it. One, because God is the one asking you the question. When God asks you a question like that, it's something to think about. When you hear that kind of a question and it's coming from God, it's something to think about. You may say, well, it's not God, it's you, brother John. Remember First Thessalonians 4, 8? He said, he that despises us, despises not us, but God who has also given us the Holy Ghost. This is the day when we preach the gospel with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost sent out from heaven. Jesus Christ came according to John 14, 10 and said, the words that I speak, they are not mine. He's the father in me. He's the father that dwelleth in me that, that, that speaketh the words. I wanted to preach on a different message today, but God says, no, preach on hell. So the message I bring these days is the message of God. It's, it's a word that proceeds to you from the very heart and the very mind of God. Now the fact that you have been said before does not mean this question is not still relevant. Because in the day when a righteous man forgets his righteousness, the righteous thing that he had done will never be remembered. If, if God, if there is no provision for people to backslide, the Bible will not say he that endured to the end shall be saved. It is one thing to start a journey. It was not all those who came out of Egypt that entered into the promised land. It's not all those who have ever said, I accept Christ as my Savior, redeem my Lord, and spoken in tongues. It's not all of those people that we enter into heaven. That is why the Bible said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are indications of regret. Those that will be included in that band are those who have known the right thing to do, but who did not do it. And they will also include those who have done the right thing, but along the line, they stopped doing the right thing. So some of man, Ezekiel 3.17, Ezekiel 3.7, says, as you said to you, he had the word from my mouth and won, and won. Because in the day when the righteous man will stop being righteous, the righteousness, the righteous thing that he had done will not be remembered. Why is it important for me to consider? Because God is saying, where are you? Where are you? God used to know where he puts you. God used to know where you are. God used to know what he wants you to do. But God is not saying, where are you? The words that are coming from me are not the words of mere men. They are words that are steered and birthed within my spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are words that God has put in my heart and put in my mouth. Like Paul, like David said concerning himself, he says that the, the, the Lord has spoken by me. Second Samuel 22 verse 3. He says the Lord has spoken by me and the Spirit of God dwells in me. So the words that I speak, they are not mine. They are the words of the Father. The Bible said in John 3 34, he that is sent of God speaketh the word of God. And I bring you the word of God today and I'm saying like God said to Adam, where are you? Where are you with reference to spiritual and eternal things? Where are you with reference to God? Where are you with reference to Christ? Where are you with reference to righteousness? Where are you with reference to holiness? Where are you with reference to destiny? Where are you? The first reason why you need to think about the question and why you need to consider it at all is because God is the one asking you to consider it. Consider it. He's saying think about it again. Ruminate on it. Analyze it. Weigh it again in your heart. The second reason why you need to consider this question is very simple. The second reason is because as a truly intelligent person, most of the time we always desire to know where we are in other areas. Many of us do medical tests because we want to know where you are in reference to health. Many of us go to the bank to get a statement because we want to know where you are financially. 
Many of us are in some relationships with people and we want to know where we are in that relationship. We ask them, do you still love me? Do you still care for me? Do you still appreciate me? Because you want to know where you are. No wanting to know where we are is one thing that men always do. You always do it. In those days when we are in school, after we do exams, we go to the lecturer and we just gist with him generally, trying to know where we are. It's not because we love the lecturer. In fact, once he tells us where we are, we don't greet him again until another exam comes. Human beings always have this craving and this desire to always know where they are. And if you, are, if you want to know where you are in matters that have to do with the temporal, you should be interested in knowing where you are with matters that have to do with eternal. So God is saying, we are now. And one reason why you need to consider it is because human beings always want to know where they are. You go to the hospital to check your BP because you want to know where you are. You check your blood because you want to know where you are. You check your urine and other parts of your being because you want to know where you are. People go for medical check abroad annually because they want to know where they are. So wanting to know where we are is part of what every man have always been interested in. And that's the second reason why you need to consider this. The third reason why you need to consider this question is because of the tendency to think we are what we are not. Human beings have this tendency at times to think that they are what they are not. At times we think we are what we are not because of certain faulty things about our lives. And at times we think we are what we are not because of what people have said to us. At times you think you are what you are not because of what people have said. And at times we think we are something we are not because of our own kind of self-image. There's a tendency, and Paul says it to us in Romans 12, 3. He said, I speak to every one of you by the grace of God that has given unto me, not to think of himself more highly than the other think, but to think soberly. In other words, Paul was saying, in as much as it's important for you to weigh yourself in the balance, in as much as it's important for you to judge yourself and to, to examine yourself, he said, it's important because there's a tendency for you to think you are what you are not. I'm telling you that there are people who are going to think they are going to make everybody will not make it. And if they don't consider this question now, they will make that mistake eternally. And there are some people who know, who probably don't even think they could make it. But if they consider this question now, then they'll be able to make it. So the third reason why you and I need to consider this question is because of the tendency to think we are what we are not. We may, we, we may discover as we test out these things that we are, we do not really stand in the place where we thought we, sta we were standing. I remember they read the testimony recently. A woman had been a member of a church for 40 years. She had done everything that you think any church person can do. She had paid her tithes regularly. She had come to the early morning prayer meeting. But remember Isaiah 64 verse 6 said all her righteous works are like filthy rags. And she thought that she was saved. But she wasn't. Just like Cornelius. Look at the thing Cornelius did. He gave arms to the poor. He feared God. He prayed. He fasted. And he even saw vision. But God in his mercy in Acts 10, 6 says, send men to Peter, send men to Joppa and inquire for the house of a man known as Simon Tana, and they will bring Peter to you and he will tell you what you ought to do. Cornelius was sincere but was sincerely wrong. And that is why you need to consider because what you think is what you should do may not be what you should do. This woman for 40 years had been a member of the church. She had served creditably. She had called for various pastors in her church. But the day came when she was ill and she was flat on her back. And as she was flat on her back, she said she had a feeling that she was going to die. But she had a feeling that she had no peace. He said, for the first time, activity is not the same as accomplishment. 
She thought she had been doing the things she should do, talking the talk, looking the looks. But suddenly she realized that she was about to descend to a lost eternity without having repented. And then she said to God for the first time, God, I think I'm saved. I think I'm saved. And God said to her, if you think you are, then you are not. You are, it, being saved is not something you think you are. It's something you know you are. The Bible said in 1 John 3, 14, we know that we are passed from death to life. We know it. It's a knowing in the spirit. It's an assurance. It's a definite, deep-seated assurance that you and I have. You and I can have the assurance of salvation. If for any reason you doubt your salvation, it means you are not saved. Salvation is not something to be doubted. It is real to the spirit of man as be a man or a woman is to your body. I mean, if somebody looks at you and says, are you a boy or a girl? Are you male or female? You will laugh. You will laugh because you know that you have the standard equipment to prove it. But if you begin to say, I think I am a boy, I think, and they say, ah, this one is an hermaphrodite or he's mad. Because basically, it's not something to be doubted because in the flesh, he's real. And being born again is as real in the spirit, yay, more real than being in the flesh, male or female is. It's not something to be thought about. It's not something to probably say, I think, I think, I think so. No. It is a real experience. A deep, personal, seated experience that you and I have. So you need to, you need to think about this because of the tendency to think we are what we are not. And so that woman thought and went to God. And in her dying moment, that was what she, when she made her peace with Christ. She thought she was it. And in her thinking, she would have descended to a lost eternity. You see, let me say this. If you come to church, Sing the song, give the title, and speak in a language, but your sinful nature have not been dealt with, you may not be saved. You may have repeated the sinner's prayer. You may have said it again and again. But there's one thing to say, there's nothing for you to register. It's another thing entirely. You may have, you may have been in church, you may have, everybody may have think you're a Christian, you think you're a Christian. I know somebody who came to this church for three years without being saved. He kept coming back. Thank God along the line he got saved. He's not a deacon here. But he came here and gave the testimony. I said, listen, I came here for three years and he was here every Sunday religiously. You cannot imagine that somebody can come to a church like this where the word of God is preached every Sunday and that person will still go, go to hell. But I'm saying it happened here. That person kept coming. That person was here. But there was no mitigation to his spiritual condition. And so you may have been coming. And so you may have been going to church. But church going does not save. Church attendance does not deliver you. You may have been baptized seven times in water. You may be speaking a language. You may have lost your salvation at the same time. If it's not possible to lose it, God will not ask us to hold it firm. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 6, 12, it says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. We are not told you have been called and you are professing good profession before many witnesses. So you and I need to consider this thing because of the tendency to think we are what we are not. Another reason why you and I need to consider this thing is so that we may conduct ourselves accordingly and receive help where necessary when still possible. Let me say this to you. The reason why we go for medical checkup is so that we may behave ourselves. It's why you go for medical checkup and you suddenly discover that you have sugar diabetes. I mean, that will help you to behave yourself accordingly. You stop eating a lot of sugar. Or why you go for medical checkup and you see that you have an IBP. 
It simply means that you should stop worrying yourself and having cares and anxiety. Or when you go, you see, when you, whenever we check up, whenever we ask ourselves and consider the question, where are thou? It's supposed to help us to conduct ourselves right and receive help when it's still possible. The Bible says, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But he, Proverbs 20, 28, 13, but he that confesseth and forsaketh him shall obtain mercy. He that covereth it shall not prosper. So the reason why you need to do is that there is still help here now. If you decide to answer that question later, it may be in a point and at a place when there can no longer be help. The Bible said in Psalm 108 verse 12, give us help, O Lord, from trouble, for vain is the help of man. The psalmist said in Psalm 22 verse 11, he says, be not far from me, O God, for trouble is near. The reason why you and I need to consider it now is because there is still help. On this side of eternity, there is still help. On the other side, I can't guarantee it. On the other side of eternity, I cannot say there will be, there will be help. On the other side of eternity, I cannot guarantee it. I cannot guarantee bedside confession. At times, some people wait until they are dying. That's when they begin to confess Christ. I am not sure that those who confess Christ at such moments get saved. I'm not sure. Because anybody will confess Christ when there is such conditions. You must confess Christ when you have your everything. When, when everything is still intact. It's not when things begin to go bad and go haywire. That you now begin to confess Christ. Such confession of Christ cannot be guaranteed. Many of us lead people to Christ when they are sick and dying. I want you to know that Christ himself knows what he's doing. Not that some of them may not be saved. But I'm saying that at times, genuine repentance, godless sorrow, may not be wrought in such hours. Anybody will confess Christ when he knows that all hope is lost. When he knows that he has no choice. But God wants to accept Christ as a matter of choice. He doesn't want you to accept Christ when you have no other choice. He wants you to make your choice of Christ when there's still an opportunity to make that kind of choice. So make sure, ladies and gentlemen, that you consider this question as important so that you can conduct yourself accordingly and receive help when it's still necessary. Another reason why you need to consider this question now and you need to look at it where thou is because where you are will determine where you are going. Where you are will determine where you are going. And where you are will determine where you are going to spend eternity and what God is going to do to you. When God looked at Adam and said, where are you? Where Adam was with reference to God with reference to righteousness, with reference to instruction that has been given, was going to determine what God was going to do to him. God had already put him in a position where he could rule and reign. He messed up and God said, where are you? Because God wanted him to tell God so that God will know what to do. And when Adam eventually told God, he said, I'm afraid. I've seen that I'm naked. God now chased him out of the garden. What God will do with every man will be based on where he is. What God will do with every one of us will be based on where we are. God is not partial. First Timothy 5.21 Let nothing be done by partiality. I wanted to know that God is not partial. God is not partial at all. God is not partial. For with God there is no partiality. Paul when, when Peter got to the house of Cornelius in Acts 10.34 the Bible said when Peter got there Peter said I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. Where you are will determine where you are going where you are, we determine where you spend eternity. Where you are, we go a long way to determine what God will do to you. Listen carefully. I want to speak to you right now about a place that you should not go. 
I want to speak to you right now about a place I know you don't want to go. I want to speak to you right now about a place God does not want you to go to. Where you are now. If left the way it is. Without any amendment or correction. We determine. To a large extent. Where. You are going. And I want to speak to you right now. About a place I know you don't want to go. I want to speak to you right now about a place you should not go. I want to speak to you about a place that God doesn't want you to go. I want you to know that this is a place God does not want for you. And this is a place that I know that you too don't want for yourself. And I know that this is a place that you should not go to. And this place is called hell. It's called hell. In Luke 16. Right from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior. The Lord of Easter. Who went to Calvary's cross. Who shed his precious blood. Who became our friend when we knew him not. Jesus gave us a story. An account. It is the story of two men who once lived like you lived. A story of two men who once walked as you walked. A story of two men who once passed through this world as you are passing through this world. It's a story of two men just like you and me. Men of like passions. It's a story of people who have gone through the same hardship that you have gone through. It's a story of people who have been in the same kind of surrounding an environment that you have been in is a story of two people and in that account that Jesus spoke to us about he said a day came in the, in the account from verse 19 he said there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and feared subtly every day there are some of us who are rich like that we are rich we can afford it we are clothed with fine purple Today you have purple, tomorrow you have damask, next tomorrow you have coupion, next tomorrow you have lace. You have all manners of, you can, and you fear sumptuously. You eat chicken, you eat rabbit, you eat hen, you eat turkey, you eat pork. And there was a certain beggar. There are some of us who are like that. In other words, these are men. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them both. One way or the other, we fit into these two people. Either we are rich or we are poor. Either we are old or we are young. Either we have it or we don't. The Bible said those people, we are different. No, they were different. But there was a common thing that happened to them. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sauce and designed to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sauce and it came to pass that the beggar died. There is a debt you owe as a living man. And that debt is the debt of death. Bearing the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day will come, ladies and gentlemen, when you and I, we close our eyes in death. The Bible said in Job 31, 23, it says this, I know that that will bring me down to death, to the house appointed for all the living. In Psalm 49, verse 10, it says the rich man, I mean, it says the wise man dies, so also the brutish and the wicked man. Second Samuel 14, 14. He said, we all needs must die. 
is as natural to die as is natural to, to be born. There is a time to be born and there is a time to die. Whether you are rich or poor, whether you are educated or illiterate, whether you are high and big, no matter who you are, a day comes, whether you are a boy today or a man today, a day comes when death occurs. Psalm 89 verse, verse 48 says, There is none that liveth, but that will not die. Death is a depth that you and I owe. It's a depth that you and I owe. The Bible says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saint. Death is something that has happened to people before us. Some of them older than us, some of them younger than us. And that is something that will happen to people younger than us. If people that are older than you have died and those who are younger than you have died, you are only existing by grace. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 4. He said one generation cometh and another one He said one generation passes away and another generation cometh. He said, but the earth remaineth. Zechariah 1.5 says, where are your fathers? Where are the prophets? He said, they do not continue forever. The Bible tells us, however, in this story, he said, and it came to pass that the beggar died. And was carried by the angels into Abraham. Was and the rich man also died and was buried. I noticed one thing that the beggar, the righteous man died before the wicked man died. Why did God prolong the days of the wicked man? So that he can have an opportunity for repentance. When God gives a wicked man an extra day to live is because God is not interested in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked should repent. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel 18, for the soul that sinner shall die. But Ezekiel 18, 23, Ezekiel 18, 32 says God is not interested in the death of the wicked. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The reason why God, as it was, is delaying things is to give everybody on the face of the earth an opportunity so that nobody will, uh, will accuse him of not having had an opportunity. The beggar died. The Bible said, and the angels of God came and carried him. The angels of God came and carried him. Not much was said about the beggar's burial. Because the destination of the beggar is different. But the, it now says, but the rich man died and was buried. Found fear. The rich man died and was buried. A lot of things were said about the rich man's burial. But something that aches me most is this. I read again from verse 22 to 23. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. Today, when you can hear his voice, lift up your eyes. Isaiah 45, 22. He says, look unto me and be saved all the end of the earth, for I am God and there is none beside me. Psalm 34, verse 5, we looked up to him and were lighting, and our countenance was not ashamed. That man waited too long, too late. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. He could have done it before then. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When all these things begin to happen, lift up your heads and look up for your redemption draw it nigh. This man waited for too long and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Hell is a place the rich man would not have wanted to go. Hell is a place the rich man should not have gone. 
Hell is the place that God did not intend the rich man to go to. But hell was the place that the rich man found himself. And in hell, he lifted up his eye. He waited too long and too late. That is why I say you need to consider that question today. This is the day the Lord has made who rejoice and be glad in it. The reason for our joy and our gladness is because this is the day of salvation. Because when the Lord turned again our captivity and when the Lord saved people in Samaria, according to Acts 8, 8, he says, there was great joy in the city. And when you give your life to Christ, according to 1 Peter 1, 8, you will have joy unspeakable and full of glory. This has nothing to do with the economy of the country. This has nothing to do with the political situation. This has nothing to do with the academics. This has everything to do with the inner man. When a man looks to his maker, there will be a juggling experience in his that man's inner man. The man waited too long and too late. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. God did not want him to go. Because God gave him chance. Even after Lazarus died, he was still alive. At times, some people think, well, you know, it's because I'm doing everything right. At times, the reason why God gives you all that is because he's long-suffering. He does not want anybody to perish, but that all should be saved. And that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. He lifted up his eyes and said, what is hell? Listen carefully to me. I will differentiate between hell and the lake of fire. You see, some people don't know the difference. The word hell, I don't care whatever word you call it in English, because some people say, I'm going through a hell of a problem. You don't know what hell is? If you know what hell is, you will not call yourself and hell together. The word hell in the Hebrew is the word sheol, S-H-E-O-L And the word hell in the Greek is the word Hades H-A-D-E-S And those two words Whether in the Hebrew or the Greek Mean the following They refer to the present place Where the departed soul and spirit of wicked people Are now in a conscious state and where they will remain until the resurrection of their bodies from the grave after the millennium. Only the wicked go to hell. Listen to me, let me explain. Listen carefully. When a righteous man dies now because Christ has come, his spirit goes up. When a wicked man dies now, his spirit goes to a place Known as Sheol goes to a place known as Hades. That is where his spirit and his soul goes to. Otherwise, his inner man, his outer man goes into a grave, but his inner man goes to hell. If a righteous man dies before Christ comes, he goes to heaven. If a wicked man dies before Christ comes, he goes to hell. At the rapture, listen, Christ is not going to come to the earth. If you read first Thessalonians chapter 4, he said the Lord will descend with a, with a cry, with, with a, with a sound of the trumpet, the voice of an archangel. At that point when the Lord descends in the rapture, the righteous people, their bodies that are in the grave, will supernaturally be sucked out of the grave and will reunite with their spirit, which is supposed to come with Christ, and they will go to heaven. Let me say this to you. We will not live in heaven forever. The meek shall inherit the earth. 
I won't go into all of that. I'm only explaining this one. You see, when that happens at the rapture, the wicked people, their bodies are not sucked. Because their soul is not in the same place where the soul of the righteous is. So, the righteous and Jesus go back to heaven. Then there is a seven year period known as the marriage supper of the Lamb, described in Revelation 19. But while the marriage supper of the Lamb is going up in heaven, on the earth, there will be the tribulation period. There will be the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, which is going to be marked by the battle of Armageddon, the righteous who are not going to be with Christ because they are the bride, they have been married because we are the bride, he's the groom, they have been married according to Revelation 19 at the marriage of the Lamb, will not come to the earth to fight alongside his side at the battle of Armageddon. At the battle of Armageddon, the forces of good will triumph over the force of evil. Listen to me carefully. Still at that point, still at that point, the wicked will still be in the grave. Their body will still be in the grave while their soul and spirit will still be in hell. And that we shall be on the earth for a period known as the millennium, 1,000 years. At the end of the 1,000 years, the spirit and soul of the wicked that have been in hell will now be reunited with their bodies and then there will be the white throne judgment. And after the white throne judgment, those that are guilty, everybody there will be guilty. It's already it's just, it's, everybody will be guilty. Those that are guilty will now be cast into the lake of fire. I want you to see the difference between hell. Hell is a place of reservation. Until judgment. Heaven is a place of reservation. Until marriage. So. After that reuniting. Of, of the soul and the spirit of the wicked. With their bodies. Then they will go through the wild throne judgment. Then the, the, the wicked people will now be cast. Into the lake of fire. That burneth with sulfur and brimstone. Which is the second death. So hell is a place where. The wicked are kept now under punishment, under torment, under pain, under anguish. Hell is a place. It is not a spiritual state. In Luke 16, look at what the, the rich man said. In verse 28, he said, For I have five brethren that... He may testify unto them, lest they, ask, lest they also come into this place. It is a place. Hell is a place, a real place that exists. The Bible tells us in Psalm 9 verse 17, He said the wicked shall be turning to hell. And all the nations that forget God. Hell is a place. Hell is not a state. Hell is not the grave. What the grave is to the body is what hell is to the inner man. The grave is supposed to keep the body. While hell keeps the soul and the spirit until the day of uniting and then white throne judgment of course and then they are now cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the final destination, not hell. But hell is the current place of reservation. The angel that sinned as far back as Genesis chapter 6. 
according to Second Peter two four, and according to Jude, they are now reserved in hell. Hell is the place for the separated spirit and soul of man. Is the place where spirits are kept reserved against the day of judgment. Hell is not a place where a man goes after he has been judged. The rich man had not been judged. The rich man here had not been tested or tried. Christ had not yet died, but the man was already in hell. Hell is not the final place, it's just the place that uh, is like a passage. It's like a place where he's first of all kept and he, he, he goes through torment and pain and anguish. It is not a spiritual state, it is a place Hell was not designed by God for human beings. Matthew 25, 41 said it was designed for the devil and his angels. Devil and angels are spirit beings. And that is why spirit and soul of man can be reserved in hell. It's a place where they are tormented before they are judged and then cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the final destination. The lake of fire is the ultimate. The lake of fire is the end. The lake of fire is the absolute. Hell is not... So hell was not made for man. And so hell is a place where you should not go. And hell is a place where God does not want you to go at all. Hell is a place where God does not want you to go at all. It is a place. Now somebody may ask me this. And I will quickly answer that before I begin to close. Where is hell? Brother George, where is hell? Now let me say something to you and listen carefully. Under the Old Testament... There was a compartment under the ground. And that is where hell is. I will explain now. Under the Old Testament, there was a compartment under the ground that was divided into two. That is described here in Luke 16. The compartment was to the left. There was hell. To the right, there was Abraham's bosom. Under the Old Covenant, those who died could not go to heaven because there was no new and living way into the holiest. Whenever an old covenant, old saint died, like David, like Joseph, like Abraham, they did not go to heaven under the Old Testament. They went to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom was just across where Hades was. Was just across where Sheol was. That is the place being described here. But when Christ died, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, 8 down to 11, and in Psalm 68, 11, it says 68, 18, that he first of all descended. Where did he descend to? He went to Abraham's bosom to introduce himself. He went to Abraham's bosom to the spirits that were in prison. These were the spirit of just men that were being made perfect. These were the spirit of the saints under the Old Testament who had not gone to heaven. So Christ went there. The Bible said he went and preached the gospel to the spirits in prison. How many of you have seen that in the Bible before? So he went there and he preached. And when he preached and introduced himself to Abraham, I am that Passover lamb. He told Moses, I'm the person that was in a figure translated to that lamb that was killed and the blood was put on the lintel. I am that person that Isaiah said he was a man of sorrow acquitted with grief and he introduced him. And after he introduced himself to them, they all believed. So the Bible said he ascended on high and led captivity captive. So all the people that were in Abraham's bosom, he now took them up there. So there is still a place down there, known as Abraham's bosom, but it is empty. But hell is not empty. So that when the righteous man dies, now where does he go? He goes up. 
he goes up. But when a wicked man dies, he goes down. That is why in number 16, verse 30, Moses said, if the Lord do a new thing and the ground opened up and these men go down hurriedly into the pit, then the Lord has spoken by me. Hell is a place that is down. I want us to read some scriptures to let you know that hell is not in some town, it's not in some village, it's not in some lack of money. It is a place and it is down. It is in a place known as the neither part of the earth. It is in a place known as the lowest part of the earth. It is in a place known as, it is in a place known as the deeper part of the earth. It is in a place known as the place that is lower than the sea and lower than the foundations of the mountains. Hell is down here. Heaven is up there. Man was not made to live in heaven. Many of you think when you die, you go to heaven and you're going to stay there. No, no. You will come back here. But there is a process. Heaven will hold your spirit and soul until your spirit and soul reunite with your body. Hell will hold the soul and spirit of the wicked and the soul and the spirit of the wicked reunite with their body. So what heaven is to the believer to hold his soul and spirit on the day of his judgment is what hell is to the unbeliever to hold his soul and spirit on the day of judgment. If you understand what I'm saying so far, raise up your hand. Beautiful. It's very important for you to know this. Now, if you know this, you know hell is not a place to go. So hell is down here. Remember in Philippians 2, verse 9 down to 11, he said, God has given him a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every day we bow of things in heaven, of things on the earth, and of things under the earth. Under the earth. Those are the three words. The word up there, the one here, and the one down there. So, hell, demons, principalities and powers will have to bow still at the name of Jesus. That is why Isaiah 14 9 says, hell from beneath rises up to beat anybody that is coming. Hell, you see, hell, whenever somebody dies and is going to hell, hell from beneath will rise up to meet that person. To receive him and say, welcome. So you have also become weak like us. I wanted to read Isaiah 14. Open to Isaiah 14. Some of these I have to read it to you because of I want to spend a little bit of time. Today is a special service. Isaiah 14. I'm reading from verse 9. I read from verse 7 really. Isaiah, Isaiah 14 verse 7. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yea, the fowl tree rejoice at thee. And the seed of Lebanon saying, Since thou art laid down, no fella is come up against us. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It teareth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. That is the population of heaven, of hell. The chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their throne all the kings of the nations. All they shall speak and say unto thee, Are thou also become weak as we? Are thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen thou? How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou caught down to the ground? We did weaken the nation. For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne upon the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountains of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down, brought down, look at that word, brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. 
You can see that hell is down. Let's read a couple of scriptures as quickly as we can. Job 11.8 While heaven is used to talk about the heights, hell is used to talk about the depths. Job 11.8 Are you there now? I will have quoted some of this scripture, but I know some of you will not check it. So let's read it together. It is as high as heaven. What can do? Deeper than hell. You see that height is used to describe heaven. Depth is used to describe hell. Deeper than hell. What canst thou know? Psalm 55 verse 15. Psalm 55 verse 15. Psalm 55 verse 15. And it says, Psalm 55 verse 15, Let death cease upon them, and let them go down, go down, look at that word down again, quick into hell. For wickedness is in their dwelling and among them. You see that down is associated with hell. Psalm 86 verse 13. I don't know whether you have read the little book by Kenneth Hagin. I went to hell. In that book, Kenneth Hagin said, immediately he died because he was not saved. When he, when immediately he died, he was going down. 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 He said he cannot describe how long, but he must have been going for about 30 minutes. Down. 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 Because that's where hell is. Hell is down. If you have ever seen volcano erupt before, you have an idea from where the heat comes that can melt a rock. One person was describing the temperature of hell. He says about 230 degrees centigrade. Psalm 86 verse 13. Psalm 86 verse 13. I read. For great is thy mercy towards me. And thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. From the lowest hell. Now let me tell you something about. I told you in the beginning that there are some words that I used to refer to hell. I told you that is the word Sheol in Hebrew. It is the word Hades in Greek. Then there is another word you may have heard or you may have seen. That is the word Gehenna. G-E-H-E-N-N-A Now Gehenna is a Greek word but the word Gehenna is from an Hebrew word. Gehinom. G-A-Y which means valley. Hinom is a Jebusite word. I'm sorry for troubling you with all that. But you just need to know. Now, Gehenna was a valley outside Jerusalem, in the southern part of Jerusalem. But it was a place where rubbish, dirt, and all manners of evil things that people don't want we are thrown to. And that place was always on fire. So to the Israelites, when you say Gehenna, he has an idea of what hell is. Because the valley of Himon, H-I-N-N-O-M, is a place that was always burning. It was a place like where you dump refuse. And so they always call it Gehenna. Gehenna. You know, I told you it means Gehimon. G-A-Y, then Himon. H-I-N-N-O-M. That is just the name of that area. And it's a place where refuse was dumped and where every dirty thing was thrown. And it was a place where fire was always burning. So to the common Israelite, he had an idea of what hell is. He knew that hell was a place of fire. It was a place that was always burning. Hell is below. Let us read one more, two more, and then I'll move forward. Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9, I read verse 18. Proverbs 9, verse 18. I read from verse 17 to 18. Stolen water are sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. 
but he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. You see that wherever hell is referred to, you can check this out in your own Bible. It is always referring to a place down. It's always referring to a place down, down, down. So hell is down there. Is down there. Let me begin to close. What is hell like? I'm going to pick some things from Luke 16 to show you what hell is like. When we ask somebody to consider that question, we'd like you to be able to make your decision based on what you know hell to be like. At least from the, from the picture of something that was described here by Jesus, we can have an idea of what hell was like or what hell is like. You don't have to go there to know what it's like. Somebody has already gone there. And whatever his position was as to going there is an important instruction to those of us who are not yet there. What kind of a place is hell? I would like to quickly give you six points. And I will explain each one, one of them as briefly as I can. The first thing I would like to say is that hell is a place of extreme punishment. It's a place of extreme suffering. Hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place of pain. The rich man said, please, I want to send to my brothers so that they will not come to this place of torment. The Bible said in Psalm 106, I want us to read that scripture. It describes what hell is like. It's a place of extreme bodiless suffering, a, a place of pain, a place of sorrow, a place of fire, a place of destruction. Psalm 16, verse 3. He said, The sorrow, are you there? Psalm 16, verse 3. The sorrows of death compass me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. It's a place of pain. I know that women go through pain when they have to deliver. I know that people who are executed go through pain. I know the pain that you go through when you have a boil or a whitlow. I, I have been told that there is nothing as painful as cancer. When the person has cancer. It's very painful. But I'm saying that the pain of hell cannot be compared to anyone. Imagine the greatest pain you have ever experienced. Is nothing compared. It's infinitesimally insignificant. The man was so, he was so, he was so overwhelmed with pain. Torment. Torment means anguish. He cried. We have always said that rich men don't cry. It is not when you face hell. Psalm 18 verse 5. He says, the sorrow of hell encompassed me about. The Bible says in Matthew 10 28. He said, this is who you should fear. He that can kill the body and soul and destroy it also in hell. In Luke 12, is repeated verse 4 and 5. He said, let me tell you who you should fear. This was Jesus Christ advising them. Not he who can kill the body and cannot do anything more than that. He said, the person that you should fear is he that can kill the body and also will destroy, cast the soul into fire. Fire is a painful thing. I don't know whether you've been burnt by water before. Listen, the fire of hell is not on your body, it's on your soul. You know how painful that can be? I don't know whether you've been burnt by, by fire from gas. 
I have seen people who have been burned by gas. They are disfigured. And the Bible tells me that the fire of hell is unquenchable. Matthew 3.12. His fan is in his hands. And he will gather the wheat into the garner. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Matthew 25.46. He said hell is a place of everlasting punishment. Punishment. When people are, you know, when people don't want, when people steal things and they don't want to confess. You know the kind of drilling that the, the, the police make them go through? And then they begin to talk. They begin to talk. That is nothing compared. There are certain punishments that some people are meant to go through that make them even lie against themselves what they have not done. They say, I did it. That is nothing compared to the punishment of hell. It's a place of intense punishment. Open to Mark's Gospel chapter 9. Mark 9. Mark chapter 9. And I read from verse 43 to 48. And I wanted to underline some things there. What kind of a place is hell? Hell is a place of pain, a place of pain, a place of a place of torment. And one thing about it is that you'll be fully conscious. The rich man said, I am tormented in this flame. I read from verse 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. He repeated it twice. And if your foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter heart into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and their fire is not. He repeated it twice. And if your eye offend thee, Pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than I have two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where there won't die not and the fire is not going. Uh, be a Christian. I cannot be a Christian because of my boyfriend. Look at that place. The worms don't die and the fire don't quench. And it will be on your soul. And it's going to be forever and forever until the day of judgment and from one little fire of hell to the lake of fire hell is not a place to, for once you see the imagination of hell itself is enough to combat it so just thinking about it just looking at it and saying it means that we born in that place forever hell is a place of intense suffering a place of torment some people say I don't believe in hell you will not be five minutes in hell before you believe it by the time you spend five minutes there, you will believe. It is a place. A real place. It is more real than tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning may be and may not be for any of us. But hell is certain. It's a definite place that exists. It's not a spiritual state. It's not the grave. It's given unto man once to die. If you are righteous, your soul goes up. If you are wicked, your soul goes to hell. To go through all of this. Is a place of agony, a place of pain, a place of torment. Listen to what this rich man said. Open to Luke 16. I, 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 what I read, I said, look at the way he said it. Look at, look at Luke 16. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water. And cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Said I am tormented. I am going through pain. 
One doctor told me that the most difficult thing to describe is pain. The pain of a whitlow, the pain of having a baby, the pain of a boy, the pain of cancer, they are nothing. Those are still pain in the flesh. They are little. When you talk about pain, this is a pain on your soul and your spirit. This is a pain on the most delicate part of the human anatomy, spiritually speaking. This is the pain that, this is the pain that even the mighty, the rich, can say, I am tormented in this flame. Second thing I want to see about hell. What kind of a place is hell? Hell is a place of painful memories and remorse. Painful memories. When, when that man explained to Father, he said, Father Abraham, send, send please this man to come and dip a finger into water and cool my tongue. Father Abraham said, son, remember. One thing that you will not leave here in the grave is your memory. The pain of an accusing memory. Another thing in hell is the pain of memories and remorse. You will forever live in hell to, to regret. Let me tell you six things that everybody who go to hell will regret. Number one, he will regret that he did not listen to the word of God. He will, he will regret it. He will not, he will regret that he did not obey the counsel of God. He will regret it. You think the rich man was not preached to? If he was never preached to, there was never be a base, a base for him not to be judged, for him to be judged. Every word that we, we have spoken to us will either justify us or will condemn us. God did not send Jesus Christ into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But when you hear something and you do not do it, you are condemned by that same thing. Because what we say, I said it to you. John 15, 22. If I have not come and spoken unto them, they have no sin. He said, but now that I have come and spoken unto them, if they don't change, their sin remaineth. Hell is a place of painful memories. The second thing that you remember and that will pain him most, he will remember the various opportunities that he had but that which he did not use. Last opportunities! Like today. If you step out through that door and you find yourself in this place, one of the things that will torture you most is the memory of the opportunities you had that you did not use. Dear Moody, Gave this testimony about himself at the age of 12. G.L. Moody went out to go and hold the ground with a man. G.L. Moody was not saved then. He said as he were hoeing the ground, hoeing the ground. He said this man was a little bit elderly. And all of a sudden the man took the hoe and began to beat the ground with it. Began to break the ground. And I said, said to him, what's wrong with you sir? He said, look at me son. He said with tears all over his eyes. He said so many years ago God spoke to me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. He said, but I told God that, well, I want to, I want to do this for, I want to do this for. He said, he said, so I left that town where God spoke to me. I went to another town. He said, the first church I went to, the preacher opened his Bible that Sunday and said he was going to preach. And he opened to Matthew 6, 33 and said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And while he was preaching, he came and tapped me. I said, son, seek ye first the kingdom of God. 
He said, but I said, no, Lord, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do these things first before I do that. He said, he left that town and got, went to another town. He said, the first day he went to church, the speaker who was preaching that day opened the Bible to Matthew 6, 33. I said, I'm going to speak on seeking first the kingdom of God. He said, since the last time that the, I went to church and the speaker said he was going to speak on seeking first the kingdom of God and I told the Lord I was going to do something first. He said, the Holy Spirit virtually left me. Dear Moody never saw that man again. Until 10 years later when he was about 22. So he came back to, he came back to, to the place where he used to be with his mother and asked mother, I said, mommy, what about that man I was going with? Where is he now? Said, oh, he said, the man is in a sanatorium. A place for mad people. He said because he had lost his mind. So Dear Moody went there to visit this man. And immediately the man saw Dear Moody. He said, seek him first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. The man had lost his mind. But he did not lose his memory. The memory of opportunities that he lost. He said he never saw that man again. Until about 20 years after that time. He said by then the man had become very old. He said so when he came he said mommy. What about so and so? He said, well, he said, the man is now senile. He's in his house. You can go and see him there. Yeah, said, when he got there, he saw this man sitting on a chair. All his hair was white. His head was bowed. He said, when he came, he did not even know he had come in. He said, but when he saw him, he just wouldn't. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That man had a memory that pained him all his life. In hell. There is going to be. The painful memories. Of the opportunities. That we lost. The last opportunity. That you had to give your life to Christ. The last opportunity you had to answer the question right. As to who I am. And where I am. Another painful memory. That people will have in hell. Another painful memory that people will have in hell is that you will regret every bad example you have been in life that have caused other people to stray. I have a feeling that when this man found himself in hell, the reason why he sent that they should go and talk to those gentlemen was because he knew he had influenced them badly. There are some people that are not saved now that I know that I was the one who initiated them. Years ago. I'm not in hell now. I'm on the earth. But whenever I see them. I'm not happy. Because you see. They are still drinking. They are still smoking. They are still into all the occults. And whenever I see them. I know how I feel. Because I taught them most of the things that they know. I initiated them into the way of wickedness. And it aches my heart. It's a different thing when a man is in hell. He said please. I know I'm here already. I can't get a cool of water. I can't, But please send somebody. His memory was torturing him. He knew that those people had believed all the lies he spoke. He knew that he had told those people, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we may die. Who has been to hell before? Who knows where hell is? Hell is a place of painful memories. Another thing that will pain people who get to hell, they will now see the righteous people that they mocked at. Where they saw Lazarus say, they will now see the same righteous people they say they will now see them on the other side hell is a place of painful memories 
is a place of torture. Not only torture in the in terms of the the pain, the, the punishment, but there is an emotional punishment. Son, remember, remember what I gave you so that you can accept me. Remember the opportunities and the openings I made for you. Remember that you had a pastor as a friend. Remember the pastor, you were close to him. You had all the opportunity to straighten yourself out. Ah! There are some women now who are regretting how they spent their life as youths. There are some old men who are regretting how they spent their life as youths. Pain of memory. Say, son! Remember. Remember! Because he knew that he could remember. Let me close. Hell is a place of painful memories. A place of painful memories. Number three, because of time, I will close in a few minutes now. What kind of a place is hell? Hell is a place where your desires and your need will forever be denied. Your need will never be met in hell. This man had only two needs. And they were not met. The goal of God is to satisfy you. Proverbs 10.24 The desires of the righteous shall be satisfied. Proverbs 11.12 The desire of the righteous is always good. Psalm 145 verse 16 He opened his hand and it is filled with good and he satisfies the desires of the living. Psalm 145 verse 19 He satisfied the desires of them that fear him. But in hell, hell is a place of insatiable desires. The man said, excuse me sir. Abraham said, uh-huh. spoke on. He said, please, send Father, send Lazarus to dip his hand into water and let him just come and cool my tongue. Ah! Ah! But those who are in heaven, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the marrow of his house. And he will make them the drink of the river of his pleasure. Psalm 65, verse 4. Psalm 63, verse 5. Jeremiah 31, 14. He said, I will satiate the soul of the priest with satisfactness. Psalm 107, verse 7. Psalm 107, verse 9. I will satisfy the longing soul. In heaven there is the tree of life. My brother, sister, you'll be able to eat. There is not one thing that those who are in heaven will ever lack. Because even while we are on earth, he doesn't want us to lack anything. But the man said, excuse me, sir. Send, send Lazarus to dip his finger into water and cool my tongue. Not even a drop of water will be given. Hell is a, it's a place you don't want to go. It's a place he did not make you because you see, on this other side, you can now tell him where you are. Okay, excuse me, sir. If you not fulfill my new desire, probably you fulfill the desire of somebody else. Heaven is, hell is not a place of intercession. It is neither a place of having your own petitions met. It is not a place of interceding for others. Hey, excuse me, sir. <laughs> Please send Lazarus. They know him. They know Lazarus in my house. I cannot go there, but tell Lazarus to go there and tell my brothers, five of them, so that they will not come here. Prayers that are made in hell are never answered. There is one place you will pray and your prayer will never be heard. And that is in hell. 
Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of a place is hell? A place where prayers are not heard. Because God is not there. Psalm 65 verse 2. Oh God that heareth prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. But in hell there is no God. Sacrifice of the righteous, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. The prayer of the righteous is delight. Father Abraham, please, even if you don't receive my own, I know I'm doomed already. I know my own case is settled. But please! Hell is not a place where prayers are hard. If you have any prayer to pray, pray here now. Because once you cross the Rubicon to the other side, hell is a place of insatiable desires. That's point number three. Point number four. What kind of a place is hell? Hell is a place of vile companionship. V-I-L-E. Companionship. What do you mean, Brother George? It simply means that the people that are going to be in hell will be the most wicked people from all nations of the world in all the history of the world. If you want to look at the kind of people that are in hell, read Revelations 21.8. Idolaters, sorcerers, abusers themselves with mankind. You know what it is to spend one night in a cell where arm robbers are put? Now all the arm robbers in the world put together. All the most wicked people that have ever been in the world from all nations of the world and in all history. The Hitlers. The most wicked human beings. Those are the people that are going to be in here. Is a place of vile companionship. The kind of company you are going to have in hell are not the kind of company you want. You know what it is to spend one day in a cell with Amroba. One man told me this is brother. This brother was driving a man and the, the car got stolen. And when the car was stolen, they now took this man to the police station and an attempt to make him talk. They put him in a cell. We are having criminals. Well. After four days, the man lost so much weight I could not even recognize him. And he was telling me some of his experiences. Listen to one of them that he told me. He said he was named KDK. Which simply means farm. KDK. See that's his name. He said there was a chief man in that place. He said whenever that man wants air. He would say KDK. So, yes. Come. Really he calls KDK. It means you are supposed to fan him. So he will get a fan. He has got this fan already. And then you know in a the fan there is one, two, three. Three is the highest. So you don't say one, two. He said at times you put it on three for about 30 minutes. Three. 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 And after that, says, Sanyo. That's another one. Hell is a place of vile companionship. One man of God that went to prison recently in the US wrote this in his testimony, in his memoirs. He said while he was in prison, some of the fellow prisoners carried out sodomy on him. A man of God. They carried out by force. Two people held him down. And another wicked man was having sodomy with him. All the sodomites in the world. All the wicked kings of the Bible. All the evil men that have ever lived in all generations. The henchmen of Hitler. All of them will be in hell. Hell is a place of vile companionship. 
the evil that hell will present. You see, hell is a place for confining the most evil people. Is that the kind of company you want to walk in? When we get to heaven, David will be there with his tambourine. Jacob, the subplatter that became the Israel of God, will be there. All the prophets of God, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, Habakkuk, Hagar. Heaven will be a wonderful place of glory and honor. But in hell, the most wicked, evil, destructive men that ever lived on the earth. All the witches of this world. All the familiar spirits of this world. All of the court officers and occult leaders of the world. In that place. It is a, it's a place of vile company. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.14 Go not in the way of the wicked. Walk not with evil men. Psalm 1 verse 1 Blessed is the man that walketh not in the castle of the godly that stand not the ways of sinner that sit down the seat of the scoundrel. Okay, excuse me sir. If you don't fulfill my new desire probably you will deserve somebody else. Heaven is, hell is not a place of intercession. It is neither a place of having your own petitions met. It is not a place of interceding for others. Hey, excuse me, sir. <laughs> Please send Lazarus. They know him. They know Lazarus in my house. I cannot go there, but send Lazarus to go there and tell my brothers five of them so that they will not come here. Prayers that are made in hell. I never answer. There is one place you will pray and your prayer will never be heard. And that is in hell. Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of a place is hell? A place where prayers are not heard. Because God is not there. Psalm 65 verse 2. Oh God that hear a prayer unto thee shall all flesh come. But in hell there is no God. The sacrifice of the righteous, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. Pray of the righteous is delight. Father Abraham, please, even if you don't receive my own, I know I'm doomed already. I know my own case is settled. But please! Hell is not a place where prayers are hard. If you have any prayer to pray, pray it here now. Because once you cross the Rubicon to the other side, it's gone. Hell is a place of insatiable desires. That's point number three. Point number four. What kind of a place is hell? Hell is a place of vile companionship. V-I-L-E. Companionship. What do you mean, Brother George? It simply means that the people that are going to be in hell will be the most wicked people from all nations of the world in all the history of the world. If you want to look at the kind of people that are in hell, read Revelation 21.8. Idolaters, sorcerers, abuse of themselves with mankind. You know what it is to spend one night in a cell where arm robbers are put. Now all the arm robbers in the world put together. All the most wicked people that have ever been in the world, from all nations of the world and in all history, the Hitlers, the most wicked human beings. Those are the people that are going to be in here. Is a place of vile 
companionship. The kind of company you are going to have in hell are not the kind of company you want. You know what it is to spend one day in the cell with Amrobas. One man told me this is his brother. His brother was driving a man and the, the car got stolen. And when the car was stolen, they now took this man to the police station and an attempt to make him talk. They put him in the cell. We are having criminals. Wow. After four days, the man lost so much weight I could not even recognize him. And he was telling me some of his experiences. Listen to one of them that he told me. He said he was named KDK. Which simply means farm. KDK, see that's his name. He said there was a chief man in that place. He said whenever that man wants air, you say KDK. Yes, come. Then he calls KDK, it means you are supposed to fan him. So he will get a fan. He has got this fan already. And then you know, in a fan there is one, two, three. Three is the highest. So you can say one. Two. He said, I can't put it on three for about 30 minutes. Three. 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 And after that, I said, Sayo. That's another one. Hell is a place of vile companionship. One man of God that went to prison recently in the US wrote this in his testimony in his memoirs he said while he was in prison some of the fellow prisoners carried out sodomy on him a man of god they carried out by force two people held him down and another wicked man was having sodomy with him all the sodomites in the world all the wicked kings of the bible all the evil men that have ever lived in all generations the henchmen of hitler all of them will be in hell Hell is a place of vile companionship. The evil that hell will present. You see, hell is a place for confining the most evil people. Is that the kind of company you want to walk in? When we get to heaven, David will be there with tambourine. Jacob, the supplanter that became the angel of God, will be there. All the prophets of God, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Nahum, Habakkuk, Hagar. Heaven will be a wonderful place of glory and honor. But in hell, the most wicked, evil, destructive men that ever lived on the earth. All the witches of this world. All the familiar spirits of this world. All of the court officers and occult leaders of the world will be in that place. It is a, it's a place of vile companionship. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.14 Go not in the way of the wicked. Walk not with evil men. Someone must want Blessed is the man that walketh not in the castle of the godly that stand up the ways of sinner that sit down the seat of the scoundrel. When the Bible says we should not walk or stand or sit let me say this to you. If you call a wicked man your friend on the earth do you want to be where he is going? I'm surprised that some Christians have unbelievers as their friend. You cannot be comfortable with hell if you are born again. If we are going to be separated after this life, why are we friends on this part of eternity? Why? I don't see a reason why a Christian should be a friend to an unbeliever. No reason. Because after this world, you will not be in the place and you will not want to be in the place where he, will, he or she will be. Hell is a place of vile companions. 
is a place of torment and pain. It is also a place of painful memories and remorse. It is a place of insatiable desires, appetite. The man said, my tongue is on fire. If that tongue does not confess Jesus Christ, it has to be on fire. If that tongue has led you to hell by saying the wrong things and not saying the right things, it has to be on fire. And it's a place of vile companionship. And then number five, hell is a place of no hope. A day will never come when they will say, you are now discharged and acquitted. No hope. No hope. There are two words in the Bible that I'm afraid of. Ever lasting and forever and ever. A man who is in hell, the deed is done, the die is cast. A day we never come and we say, Oh, you have served. You know when they send you to life in prison on the earth? By the time you spend 25 years, I think you know about, I mean, you know that you are a prison evangelist, Reverend Adebe here, prison evangelist. By the time you serve 25 years, they may release you if you have good behavior. If they send you to life. In America, they call it parole. But when you go to hell, there is no mitigation. The only transfer that will occur will be from hell to the lake of fire that bordered with brimstone and sulfur. Higher degree. Bonnet with brimstone and sulfur, which is the second death. You have an opportunity either to be born twice or to die twice. To be born twice means you are born in the flesh and you are born again. To die twice means to die in the flesh and then to experience the second death, which is the lake of fire. Which is the lake of fire? Is a place of no hope. No future. Open to Daniel 12 2 as I draw the curtains finally. Daniel 12 2. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting content. Hell is a place of shame. Shame. It's a place of shame. A rich man begging for a drop of water. It's a shame. A place where a man who had so much and had such a great opportunity could not get things done. Shame. And the problem is that it is going to be forever and forever and forever. The Bible calls it in Matthew 25, 46, everlasting punishment. The worms, the fire, the pain, the painful memories, the lack of fulfilled desires, the evil companionship, everything will be forever. Let me ask you a question as I draw the cottage. How many years have you lived on earth? How many years do you think you have more to live? It is given unto man once to die. Death does not tell you I'm coming tomorrow or next week. Death is certain, but death can be sudden. And once it occurs, the devil, the doctors will try to resuscitate you. They will use some things to jack you up if possible. 
if that does not happen. Ten seconds after a man has breathed his last, is either up there or down. And once he goes to hell, there is nothing anybody can do about it. The only thing anybody can do is what you do now. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and be glad in it. I can never forget the day I made my, I opened my heart to Christ. I don't believe that once you are saved, you are saved forever. If you are not careful with your salvation. Revelation 2.25 Hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to what you have. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to stay saved. But there is a hell to shun today. And that is my message. Hell is a place God did not make for you. It's a place you will not want to go. Hell is a place you are going to be separated from everybody you ever loved. Those who are in hell will rise up to meet you at your coming. They will say, oh, so you have become as weak as we too. You have become like one of us. Instead of going down, why don't we go up? Proverbs 15, 24. The way of life is above to the wise that he may depart from hell An obstacle on the way to hell is this message. With this message, nobody in this building today will have a reason to go. The Holy Spirit is walking upon you where you are seated. Christ already died so that you and I will not have to go to hell. Hell is real. The rich man cried. I'm in torment, I'm in pain. He told him, son, remember, his desires were not met. And he is, as we are speaking, that man is still in that place right now. As we are speaking, he's still there. That statement was 2,000 years ago. That man has spent 2,000 years in hell. He will be a pitiful person to look at now. He will be a pitiful person to look at. He will be, a, he'll be, he'll be such a, such a, such a, such a person to look at now. Not even God can help you if you don't help yourself. The time of ignorance God has winked that he has commanded everywhere that everybody should repent. Because he has set apart a day in which he is going to judge the world. Coming to church is not the same thing as getting saved. It's not the same thing as being born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot. He cannot. A man can go to church. A man can have a form of godliness. A man can be the son or a daughter of a pastor. There is weeping and gnashing of teeth in hell. There shall be weeping. Matthew 13 says, and gnashing of teeth. One person was preaching, one pastor was preaching this day, he said, he was preaching one day and said, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And one man said, excuse me, what about those who died without teeth? He said, they shall be provided teeth. <laughs> they, shall, they shall be provided so that they can go through when somebody gnashes his teeth you know what that means intense pain when they want to give you some pain, some painful injection that is just greeting 
This one is nasha. You will be eating your teeth like it is food. And that is going to be forever. If hell is a place where you can get out of in two days or two months or two years or twenty years, we can still endure it. Many people go to Kirikiri and come out. But this is a place where you will not come out. Once the door is shut on your soul, Sefini. At the end of the millennium, the 1,000 reign, the 1,000 years reign of Jesus on the earth. People who are in hell will be brought out. And their body, listen to this. You know, in hell, what goes through the torture is your soul and the spirit. The body is in the grave. At the, at the, at the white throne judgment, the soul and spirit are now united with the body. And then the body is thrown, you are now thrown into the lake of fire where it is no longer soul and body but soul body and spirit and it's going to be forever it's a fearful thing to fall into the hand of a living god but today is an obstacle today is another obstacle on the way to hell you can pass by the obstacle like i said yeah and see continue your journey but i can assure you that not many obstacles are left anymore if we have been told that the year 2000 is the end of the world, this is 1999. Anytime from 12 o'clock midnight, anything can happen. This is the fourth month of the year 1999. If there's anything you can do, do it now. Where are you? You know where you are. I know where I am. Others can tell me where they think I am, but I know where I am. Someone ran 1959 said, I thought of my ways and I turned my feet. I went to a church in this town some years ago. The bishop of that church, when I gave out a call, how many of you want to be saved? The man raised up his hand. The bishop of the church and some elders went to him and said, Ah, you know, and they helped him to bring down his hand. And the bishop raised up his hand the second time and they helped him to bring down his hand. And the bishop took three steps forward away from everybody, very close to me, and raised up his two hands because nobody will be with you in hell and nobody can tell me away. Are you ready?